It's Allison here. I just wanted to give a little disclaimer before the start of this episode. My mic was acting weird. Um, It wasn't working at all. And the audio that you're going to hear from me is actually coming from my camera speakers. So I'm not as cool and crisp as I typically am, um, but I just wanted to give you that disclaimer. I apologize. We fixed the issue um, and future episodes will be like they always are. So thank you so much for listening. We are the Mystery History Podcast. I'm Allison. I'm Rachel. Welcome to episode 82 on the Happy Face Killer. That's right. It's a wild ride, this one. It really is. I was not expecting this. Me neither. So we've got just a few things real quick for business. Um, Why don't you take it away on that? Like us, share us, subscribe us, please. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, how can you say no to that? You know? (laughs) It's the best I got. Yeah. Please, oh, please, oh, please. (laughs) Please like us. um, Please like us. Please. (laughs) Uh, if you can leave a comment, especially on Apple, uh, I believe that's the only place you can leave a five-star review and a comment. Uh, mm-hmm. We will read it on the show and we would love to have another one. We would. Mm-hmm. I like reading those comments. And then if you really want to get crazy, you can join our Patreon. Mm-hmm. We, we have a $2 tier and a $5 tier. We have a special going till the end of the year where if you join, you can get a free sticker and handwritten love notes mm-hmm. plus we've got There's a lot merch. of love in that note lots of love lots of love tons of love in the letter that's right i'm plus, excited about this next patreon episode we're getting ready to record too oh yeah it's um yeah the well i don't missing 411 is what we're doing mm-hmm. for our next episode i really liked the last uh couple episodes that we've done on patreon we've been having really a fun time with it and then we've been getting some good shorter kind of topics content yeah, yeah but they're they're good they're good quality and we've got like 59 of them yeah so, there's a lot to catch up on go check is. it out yeah it's getting to be winter it's cold mm-hmm. you don't want to go outside nope you just want to listen to us yeah that's it that'll warm your soul <laughs> <laughs> oh wow uh, okay <laughs> Well, do you have anything else business related? I do not. All right. Well, why don't you get us started on the happy face killer? All right. So we're going to go ahead and start out with Tanya Bennett. Um, 23-year-old Tanya Bennett was described as a cheerful and lovely person. She was a native of Portland, Oregon, and loved striking up conversations with strangers, which is dangerous. It's a hard line you got to walk. It is. You want to be friendly, but not too friendly. You want to be trusting, but not too trusting. Don't trust anyone. Yeah. Just pretend. Yeah, just pretend to be trusting. Yeah. And friendly. (laughs) (laughs) So if you need to turn it on, you can. (laughs) Yeah. Turn it right back off. (laughs) Uh, um, Her sister, Michelle White, said Bennett was the only one in their family who graduated from high school. Uh, She read a lot and loved music, especially Madonna. And 
she was first reported missing on January 21st, 1990. She was found dead just one day later beside the old Columbia River Highway in Portland, Oregon by the Columbia River Gorge. And she had been brutally beaten with a blunt object, sexually assaulted, and then the culprit strangled her to death. So not, not an easy situation. No. And I think because there's a 2020 special on this that we'll probably talk about later. Um, but they did say that they believe that she might have had some sort of mental disability or something like that. Do you remember that? Yeah, I remember they like briefly mentioned that. Yeah. So I think that that could be maybe she liked, you know, touchy, feely, huggy type things. Mm -hmm. And I think she just thought everybody was a good person, unfortunately. Yeah. They said that she would like make friends with everybody. Like she would go to a bar and like be hugging everyone and be very like overtly friendly. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that's nice, but it does definitely put you out there yep and as a potential target yeah it can definitely attract the wrong kind of people that's right so the the initial stages of the investigation proved challenging as there was a lack of leads or witnesses Um, thus the authorities decided to inform the public about the details of the murder hoping someone might have something to go on It wasn't long until a 58-year-old woman came forward telling them about an alarming conversation she had heard. Laverne Palvinak said that she overheard John Sosnovsky. Sosnovsky. That's going to be a doozy. We're just going to call him John from here on out because I can't say that. Okay. You'll say it. So I'll say John and you'll say. I don't know. I'm going to say John. John. He was anyway, she had overheard him bragging about Tanya's murder in a bar. That's right. Which so she was at. Right. Based on that statement, police began investigating John and found that he and Laverne had been seeing each other for quite some time. So that's kind of weird, right? That is weird. Yeah. <laughs> Pavel and I had been with John. A farmhand, 18 years her junior for a decade. So this guy is significantly younger than her, um, and, but they've been together for, for a decade. That's a long time. That is a long time. The couple was then called in for questioning when Laverne decided to take her story a step ahead. Um, Laverne seemed to know intimate details about the case. And she claimed to have found a strange purse in the trunk of her car with a piece of denim from a pair of jeans inside of it. When Bennett was found, her purse was gone and her jeans were missing the fly. So the fact that she had said, I found this in my trunk or in the trunk that, I mean, these tied together, right? But when investigators were unable to match the purse and the denim piece to Bennett, they confronted Pavlinak about fabricating evidence. And that's when they said she implicated herself in the murder, according to Detective John Ingram, who worked on the case. She claimed that she had helped her partner dump Tanya's body. He went off in the woods with her. Laverne told investigators, he said, I better not open my mouth. This Uh, that this never happened or I will cause trouble for your family. I'll hurt your family. She had changed her story so many times that investigators said they wondered if she was even telling the truth, 
The Laverne claimed she knew where she and John had left Bennett's body in the Columbia Gorge outside of town and took investigators to the exact remote wooded area where she was found. Once the police were confirmed that the location Laverne had took them to was the same that the victim's body was discovered. So, I mean, it's, there is a lot of coincidences here that she had a purse, she had the jeans, and then she took them to the murder scene. Right. And if I remember correctly, they had, I don't, I think that they had told the public that her purse was missing and that her jeans were missing but the fact that she could take them to where the body was discovered that wasn't like public news like where it was so they didn't like she shouldn't know that unless she was there so right. and they they said that she was like 10 feet away yeah from like, like where it was. it was close. like very yeah and like you know if you drive those roads and like see that like they're turny there's not like landmarks mm-hmm. even if you're familiar with the area I think it would be difficult to um like pinpoint the pick, exact yeah pick somewhere unless you'd been there basically yeah is what I'm getting at so. so based based on Laverne's statements and that John failed a polygraph test authorities arrested John on murder charges So unfortunately, even after John's arrest, the police couldn't find any forensic evidence to connect him to the murder. Uh, Witnesses claimed to have seen the victim in a bar with two unidentified men and affirmed that neither of those men resembled John. So at one point, the investigation began believing in John's innocence, and they were actually considering letting him go because they didn't really have anything to like go off of other than what had already been discussed. However, Laverne suddenly called to change her statement and insisted that she and John met Tanya when she was still alive. She told investigators that she had gone to the bar to meet John, but Bennett was alive when she picked them up and both of them got in the car with her. And then Laverne said she slapped him. He slapped her, punched her, slapped her, and they were laughing. Then it became slapping me and laughing. Oh no. <laughs> I know that's what that's that was the pause. I'm like sitting here thinking about it and I'm like, somebody slaps me once and everybody's gonna be crying. Uh-huh. Yeah, <laughs> like, no laughing ever again. <laughs> exactly. She said then it became serious, a serious argument. So basically she's saying they started getting into it in the back of the car. And that's the other thing. Like, as a 58-year-old woman, you're picking your boyfriend of 10 years up at the bar and another girl gets in the car. Yeah, no. Like, what's that? <laughs> I, don't, about? I don't know. <laughs> the whole thing is just weird. It really is. She then went on to claim that John rendered the girl unconscious before they dragged her into the Vista House Museum in Oregon. There, Laverne insisted that she tied a rope around the victim's neck as John allegedly raped her before strangling her. Based on such a condemning statement, the police arrested both John and Laverne before charging them with Tanya's murder. Laverne was convicted of a felony murder and sentenced to life in prison with a 10-year minimum served. John pleaded no contest to first-degree murder and kidnapping charges to avoid the death penalty and was sentenced to life in prison. Right. So it got serious real quick. It did. After that, after her last statement, yeah, they were convicted so 
I, I remember in the, in that 2020 episode, the detective was saying that it felt like arresting his mom uh-huh. or grandma, one of those two things, because she like turned around and hugged him when he like, uh, like arrested her to charge her. So I don't know, like it's, I, it's weird. And he well, said too, go, go ahead. ahead. I was just going to say, he said too, like he like didn't want to believe it and actually ended up, they made Laverne go through her admittance to her daughter before they would like proceed with it being like true. Mm -hmm. Well, and they let her, after she uh, said that she was guilty of these things, they let her go home. And right. then the other detective told the guy who felt like he was arresting his mother, go get her. She just yeah, admitted like, what are to you murder. Doing? <laughs> yeah. yeah, like what is happening? Yeah. And then too, just like this story, the way she told it too, she, I think she said that she like was holding the rope and like pulling it and not looking Yeah, and didn't realize that she was killing her. I don't think that she meant to put herself in this situation. Right. I don't, yeah, I wouldn't think so either. Interestingly, around this time, during this whole like trial and conviction, some graffiti, which was signed with a smiley face, showed up on the wall of a men's bathroom at a bus station in Livingston, Montana. And it read, I killed Tanya Bennett January 21st, 1990 in Portland, Oregon. I beat her to death, raped her and loved it. Yes, I'm sick, but I enjoy myself too. People took the blame and I'm free. So yeah. that showed up. And I know that they like knew about it, but I mean. People do that kind not, of stuff all the time yeah. to try to get off, you know, of people who right. are in jail. Or just like to be little shits that have nothing yeah. better to do, you yeah. know, that kind of thing. And then soon after another confession on the wall of a rest stop bathroom in Umatilla, Oregon showed up and it said January 21st, 90 killed Tanya Bennett in Portland. Two people got the blame so I can kill again. So just like the confession in Montana, someone signed it with a smiley face, but I mean, there's nothing, there's nothing to be done with that. So So, here we are. That is where we are is here. And now we're about to M night Shamala the shit out of this thing. And it's a (laughs) plot twist. Okay. (laughs) In 1990, Keith Jefferson's life had started falling apart. He was a long-haul truck driver who had split with his wife, who suspected him of cheating, and then he had been recently dumped by his new girlfriend. So he wasn't doing too great. He was feeling really angry at women. He went to B&I Tavern near Portland, Oregon, and met his first victim. At the bar, Jefferson started chatting with 23-year-old Tanya Bennett. He invited her home with, he claims, the intention of sleeping with her, but their sexual encounter turned violent. All she had to do was say the wrong thing, and I just exploded on her, Jespersons later said, alleging that she had started to remind him of his Mm ex-wife. I slugged her, I hit her hard, and I beat her senseless. There was little Bennett could have done to stop him. Jesperson was a 6'8 man and weighed 240 pounds. So he's a big dude. Yeah. He punched her 20 times before strangling her with a rope from his garage. Thrilled with how the kill had gotten him high, he dumped her body near the banks of the Columbia River. 
Then, to Jesperson's shock, delight, and confusion, someone else claimed they killed Bennett, which was, of course, Laverne. Dumbass Laverne. Yeah, fucking shit up. (laughs) To Jesperson, it seemed like a miracle and a sign. So, like, he took this as a sign. Since I'd gotten away with the Tanya Bennett death, I was beginning to feel immortal, he said. It was a game now. I was boss and I was invulnerable. So feeling untouchable, Jesperson boldly confessed to the crime on the wall of a Livingston, Montana truck stop. Okay. Yeah. Let's unpack this. Let's. Fucking Laverne. (sighs) So she was jealous or was mad at john for some reason well the very last thing that we'll talk about is laverne and there's some speculation as to why she did what she did but it in my opinion i don't care why you did that like you lying about this lying about a murder Mm -hmm. is letting whoever did it off off Mm -hmm. and there's consequences to that (laughs) and they're not good consequences as we will continue to find out so yeah crazy it really is we'll we'll push pause on that and we'll continue let's so what the hell keith jepperson remembers thinking jesperson I'm going to say it different every time. Um, Me too. I, it's a, it, that one's it's a hard a weird one, one too. It is. <laughs> There's too many S's in there. <laughs> he remembers thinking, I killed Tanya Bennett and got away with it. I could kill anybody. It's up to me. Starting in 1992, he went on a murder spree. He picked up a female hitchhiker known today only as Claudia at a truck stop in Blythe, California that August. Once she got into Jesperson's truck, he duct taped her hands and mouth, raped her, and killed her. He eventually began writing letters to a local news outlet. Well, two local news outlets, but specifically the Oregonian, I think. Um, and on the letters, he would put smiley faces on them, which earned him the moniker of the happy face killer. A month later, he killed a sex worker named Cynthia Lynn Rose in Turlock, California. He claimed that she jumped into his truck and her sexual advances infuriated him. So he killed her. Mm-hmm. In November, he killed again, this time murdering a sex worker named Lori Ann Pentland in Salem, Oregon, who Jesperson says tried to overcharge him. Wow. After lying low for the rest of the year, he struck again in July 1993, killing a Jane Doe in Santanella, California. The next September, he killed a second Jane Doe in Crestview, Florida, possibly named Suzanne. And the authorities are currently working to try to identify her. So they're still working to identify a couple of his victims. And he's ever, I mean, he is dangerous because he is everywhere. Yeah. I mean, like, talk about how that job specifically is like really I don't know what the right word is so I'm just gonna say really good for someone that is a serial killer because you're all over the place and there's no I mean of course like with your trucking company there's like a lineage of you being there but like you're basically an out-of-towner just like going through places Mm -hmm. yeah so 
Well, and, and How- now, I mean, even even still to this day, finding victims that match that MO or whatever, it's more possible because of the, the databases that they have. Um, mm-hmm. But still super difficult when you don't know where he's going to be next. Yeah. And I mean, I feel like sex workers are very often the victims of these kinds of things because Mm -hmm. of, you know, the situations that they're in, but they're also like one of the most overlooked kind of victims because a lot of times they also don't have family looking after them, you know, nobody knows they're gone sometimes. Yeah. And there's too, just like lifestyle things not to, I'm not trying to like blanket sex workers or anything, but there are a lot of times where they may be drug addicts or live lives that are like on the fly. So it's hard to keep track of. And, Mm. you know, it's just, yeah, I mean, it's not, they're like the kind of victims where sometimes they go missing and nobody is missing them or knowing, know that they're missing. They may think they just are like off. Yeah. You know, super sad. It really is. It's, it's devastating. <laughs> Meanwhile, Jesperson had started sending letters about his crimes to various news outlets. In a 1994 letter to the Orgonia, he described his kills, including Bennett's in detail. He said, I've always wanted to be noticed. Jesperson wrote front page, etc. He offered shocking details about the women he killed of Pentland's murder. He wrote, I felt so much power. I then told her she was going to die and slowly strangled her and dropped her off behind G.I. Joe's in Salem. Through, though Oregonian reporter Phil Stanford came up with the moniker, the happy face killer, police had no idea who was behind the note or the murders. And Jesperson went on to kill again. He murdered a woman named Angela Sabrise in January 1995 after spending several days on the road with her. After killing her, he realized she had used his credit card to make a purchase. To make her impossible to identify, he tied her dead body to his truck and drove with it hanging off the end. After 12 miles, he tossed what remained of her corpse in a ditch. So basically, he just mutilated. Right, to make her like unrecognizable so they wouldn't be able to identify her, Mm -hmm. to tie her to him. That's like some joyride scary movie stuff right there. It is. And how 12 miles? I mean, did nobody notice that? Apparently not. I feel like. Must have been in like the desert or something something. where there's nobody around because you would think that that would be noticed. But 12 nope. miles is a long time. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, it is. In March 1995, Jesperson killed yet again, this time strangling his girlfriend, Julianne Winningham. Winningham's death, however, elicited more attention than Jesperson's other victims. Jesperson was arrested on March 30th, 1995, for her murder. He had been questioned by police a week before, but they had no grounds to arrest him after he refused to talk. Then, in the days following the police talking to him, he decided that he was uh, definitely going to get arrested and tried to commit suicide twice. Then he turned himself in, hoping it would result in leniency during his sentencing. So he wasn't able to to go through with his suicide attempts. Mm-hmm. 
While in custody, Jesperson began revealing details of his killings and making claims of many others, most of which he later recanted. A few days before his arrest, so like in the throes of him, you know, trying to commit suicide, he had written a letter to his brother in which he confessed to having killed eight people over the course of five years. And this led police in, um, you know, different agencies in a bunch of different states to reopen some cold cases that they had uh, just because they were thinking they might be able to find possible victims of Jesperson's. And like when they arrested him, I don't remember if you remember this, or I don't know if you remember this. I don't remember if you remember. <laughs> I don't know if you remember this, but it said like they let him use the phone. Like when they arrested him, the police let him use the phone the detective did in his office. And he called his brother and told him to flush that letter that he had written. Oh no, like, I don't get, remember that. That was in maybe you know, maybe it wasn't in the 20, I watched two documentaries. I watched the 2021 and then also the one that's on Netflix. And it was in one of them where he had tried to get his brother to flush it. And then his brother turned it over to authorities. Well, good for his brother. I know. Right. Yeah. So he had like made a last ditch effort after not being able to kill himself. And after he had already mailed this letter to try to make sure that it didn't get out that he had like concretely killed these eight people, but Mm -hmm. he had written it down. So Wow. He is serving three consecutive life sentences at the Oregon State Penitentiary in Salem. In September 2009, Jesperson was indicted in Riverside County, California on murder charges. He was extradited in December 2009. He was convicted of another murder and received a fourth life sentence in January 2010. So So hopefully he's not going anywhere. He ain't going no way Yeah, he's going nowhere. Now, normally we talk about early life first, but wanted to start out with the stunner. So now I'm going to give you a little background information on on Keith here. He was born on April 6, 1955 in Chilliwack, British Columbia. And his early life offered some sinister clues that he would grow up to be a killer from a young age he enjoyed torturing and killing animals his father less even approved of such activities so like his father was aware that he was doing this and he was like good job son yeah why i guess well there's something wrong with his dad too so he was domineering and abusive Leslie cast a shadow over Jesperson's childhood he beat him belted him and even once gave him an electric shock Okay. All my children. Yeah. (laughs) He, he said, all my children got beatings. When I was a kid, I was strapped harder than any of them. And I didn't grow up to be a serial killer. Mm, Well, that's well, you raised one. So who knows? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Questionable at this point. Yeah. By the time his family moved to Selah, Washington, when Jesperson was 12, he'd grown into a hulking, awkward, and sometimes outwardly violent child. On one occasion, Jesperson held another boy's head underwater. And on yet another, he beat a classmate so severely that the other boy lost consciousness. Wow. So, like, more on those two, the boy that he held underwater was I think just I think both of these were like cases of him getting bullied and him you know putting out kids. exactly but he said that had the lifeguard not stopped him at the pool 
where he was holding this boy's head underwater, he said he would have killed that kid. And wow. then he said this other kid had his, I think his dad was, hadn't pulled him off of this other kid. He said he would have killed him too. So he was just a ticking time bomb since birth, pretty much. Youth. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like. Yep. Wow. So after that incident, Jesperson marveled at how he could let the bad side of himself take over. His classmates teased him, calling him Igor or Ig after Dr. Frankenstein's assistant. Jesperson avoided teenage rituals like prom and he never dated anyone. Though he graduated high school, he didn't go to college because his father said he couldn't do it. Despite these early warning signs, Jesperson seemed to grow into a fairly average young man. I guess, in 1975, um, he got married. Jesperson and his wife, Rose, had three kids, and he started working as a long-haul trucker to support his family. And then the rest goes down in history. Right. So he was fairly average for a hot second. Yeah. (laughs) And I wonder how fairly average he was, too. You know, like, Mm. they interview his daughter, and she says that, before even before like things were before he started killing he made her uncomfortable and anxious and I mean that's just you know well the best thing is probably that he wasn't home a lot for those yeah. kids. yeah I'm sure that was yeah. the best thing could you imagine being uncomfortable and anxious around your your parent no no that would be awful just walking on eggshells constantly. Mm-hmm. Like that makes me sad. Yeah. So Jesperson confessed to killing approximately 160 victims, likening wow. the women to piles of garbage he dumped by the side of the road after murdering them. Ugh. Wow. He's a, he's a piece of trash. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, investigators have only been able to confirm that the happy face killer murdered a total of eight women in California, Wyoming, Nebraska, Florida, Washington, and Oregon. And eventually Jesperson recanted most of the confessions admitting he hadn't really actually murdered more than a hundred women, but it just oh, okay. sounds like, so. yeah, not more <laughs> so than that's 100. Okay. Yeah, I know. And he's like, it leaves it open. It sounds like there could have been a ton more victims. And like we said earlier, there, there very well could have been. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I feel like, I don't know. I don't know if I could remember doing anything 160 times. Like, no, <laughs> you know what I mean? So even for a killer who's killed 100 or 160 people, you might forget some of them. Like, as sad as that is, like, you snuffed out somebody's life and you can't even remember mm-hmm. them. Like, that right. is, ugh. Well, and him like recanting this. So they were only able to find eight that he definitely killed. So those were the concrete ones. He wrote that down in a letter that there was mm-hmm. eight. And then after that said, oh, I didn't kill more than a hundred. So that leaves what? 99. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the kind of victims that he had could be just like, there's so many missing people in yeah. the world. I mean, it could very well, there could be tons still out there. Yeah. okay so let's go back to laverne yeah uh laverne laverne (laughs) it's thought that laverne suffered abuse at the hands of her partner john 
She felt trapped within the confines of her toxic relationship and believed she had to go to extreme lengths in order to distance herself from him once and for all. She previously claimed to the FBI that he was a wanted bank robber and frequently complained to John's probation officer that he was drinking too much. Her daughter said, I don't think she was in love with him. I think that she was at a bad place in her life. Mm -hmm. So her solution was to freaking try to frame him for murder and Uh then be super dumb and implicate herself. I want to know how she had claimed to the FBI that he was a wanted bank robber and also like frequently complained about his drinking. Her daughters all knew that this was a bad relationship she was in. I'm assuming other people did. If it was an abusive relationship, I would think that there was probably like likely police involvement at some Mm -hmm. point in that. And when she came to the police and said this happened and they were questioning it, they didn't look back at the history of her and this guy and say, like, you know, this is a little fishy. (laughs) And the fact that she changed her story, like, four times. Right. Like, I don't know why this went through. (laughs) And then in the last ditch, like... She just said the wrong thing, and then she went to prison for, like, 10 years. hmm Yeah. And how and, pissed is he? <laughs> yeah, he was in jail, too. I don't... You know, of all the things, like, you... I think I've, like, read a lot about Laverne. You know, there's a lot out there about her, but, like, nothing says, like, anything about him. Like, no interviews with him or anything. You would think he would be, like... Oh, I see. <laughs> out there like living fucking Laverne <laughs> yeah I, well, he, mistake. he should have I mean sued her because that's years of his life he lost I think he did sue like you, the state or something I don't think he sued her but I think he sued like the state or something I don't remember but yeah and her daughters said that their mother was never the same after she got the divorce from their father and I guess she had discovered he had left her for another woman and then Laverne remarried but her second husband died a few years later and then her son shortly thereafter died um, just for medical reasons so a lot of bad things happened to her all at once and her daughter said just so many bad things that happened in her life that I think I don't know what caused her to kind of snap or something because if you look like all the, all these people are like, she was wonderful. Like she was mm-hmm. such a nice woman. She could give you the shirt off of her back. And it's just like, so bizarre. Well, she does like pictures of her. She does look just like a grandma, like the, the curly bob hair, the big glasses, mm-hmm. the shoulder pads, like she's a casino grandma. Yeah. Like she makes cookies on the weekends for sure. <laughs> I just and and, and like, can it, you imagine her saying like, "Oh, I I strangled this woman while my boyfriend raped her," like out of fucking the air, like out of she, the air. She made that she, up out of the air. <laughs> yeah, because she obviously didn't think about that. Because you like, I don't think she went into it thinking she was going to get in trouble. She just wanted him to be in trouble and get away from her. 
and then they started pressuring her and then this just floated up and that's what she came out with. i mean <laughs> like, can you imagine saying that you did that when you no. didn't do that <laughs> i would be like okay let's hit the pause button i'm just kidding yeah. on this whole thing yeah p.s <laughs> he beats me and I need somebody to take care of Right. That. I'm sorry it's for like, wasting your whole, all this time and money. Right. Like, let's not, I just couldn't imagine ever saying I did something like that when I did not do something like that. Like no. to make that up is like intense. And the, and like you said earlier, the fact that she did this and they were, they were doing time for somebody else's crime and just letting this person just go out in the world and do all these horrible things and kill seven Uh more times at minimum seven more times. Yeah. I mean, this is, I, I could not imagine the guilt that would, you would have to live with after that. No, no. I mean, she must've snapped, but like, I don't know. And then two, did you see the part where they said like, well, how, like one of the biggest signs in that whole investigation is that she knew where the body was Mm -hmm. and she later said you know she's they were driving and she had them turn around to go back to the spot because she noticed while they were driving that that part of the woods over there looked like trampled down so she just guessed because it looked like police had been there yup like they had just been driving around and she saw a spot that looked like it had been trampled because you know it's not like people didn't pull off and go Mm -hmm. over there so yeah just it's in the whole thing is insane to me well the moral of this story is is if you want to get away from somebody you do not have to tell the police that they killed someone you can just go just go I mean, sometimes it's not that easy, but it's, it's a I mean, a lot easier this, is, than this. this is not an option. Do not do this. <laughs> no, that is way more easier than all this. And how yeah. pissed is she at herself? Probably every morning when she wakes up, like, damn, I fucked up. Like <laughs> I said the wrong thing. Um, and I wonder, yeah. like, I'm curious if she was ever just like, I, I'm not, we didn't do it. Like we didn't do it when she she was in prison. Oh no. She said it before when they, when she was, when she was being charged, she recanted her statements. She said, I did not actually do this, but they were already charged with it. They were in Mm. court and they were like, there was a jury that convicted them. So like at that point, they didn't believe her that she was making it up. You know, it's hard to believe. Why would you? (laughs) Yeah. it's hard to think that somebody would make something like that up like what wow it's insane so let's just make it real picture perfect so we'll start with tanya she was murdered mm-hmm. laverne who didn't have anything to do with it and nope. her boyfriend john laverne went to the police and said john killed tanya Mm-hmm. Then she implicated herself and said mm-hmm. that she basically strangled her to death. They were arrested and were in prison. But really, it was Keith Jesperson who was killing all these people. Mm-hmm. Eight to be, well, not to be exact, because we won't ever know. Right. And then finally, he was brought to justice and they were let out. Yeah. All because and the only Laverne reason wanted he- to 
get away from John. Get away from this guy. Yeah. And the only reason he was even caught is because instead of killing somebody random on the road, he killed his girlfriend. Yeah. So also, do not recommend. No. Don't do that either. Nope. Ugh. Yeah. It's crazy. It really is. I just it I really highly recommend that ABC 2020 episode. That was so a good I, but one. it was it was better when you don't know what's gonna happen because I didn't know what was gonna happen when I watched it though. So I'm like watching this old lady say that she killed some young person while her boyfriend raped her. I was like, what? What? Grandma did not do that. Yeah. And she did it as you come and, to find out. <laughs> and the detective that we talked about that said that it felt like he was arresting his grandmother or mother. I feel like he had an inkling this whole time that she did not do this because he didn't yeah. want to arrest her. No, no, he did not. But, and, they, but she completely derailed everything. So when they let them out too, um, when they ended up like letting those two out, he, John's sentence was like reversed or whatever. Like it didn't happen. They left her sentence on. They for, just let her free. Yeah. Well, so like, yeah, yeah. because she was still she charged with it. Impeded in a, a police investigation. I mean, yeah, there should be something would, for that. I guess it was like time served or something. Cause I don't think they went after her for that, but yeah, you would think. Wow. But, mm-hmm. What a freaking wild ride. It really is. So you want to say your sources? Yeah. I've got a lot of sources. <laughs> I was on thecinemaholic.com, tyla.com, abcnews.com, people.com, <laughs> wikipedia.com, <laughs> all things interesting.com. And then two, I just put in the ABC 2020 episode because I watched it. So some things were added from that too. Yeah. But crazy, crazy, crazy. Yeah, so it is. Let us know how you feel about this episode. We were both blown away because both of us had no idea about this. And Mm-mm. I actually thought it was the smiley face killers killer whenever I watched this. And then it totally like, like what's happening? <laughs> yeah, this isn't how that went. <laughs> no. Uh, so yeah, highly recommend that episode. Um, uh, it's I think you can watch it on Hulu. Yeah. So, all right. Well, let us know how you feel about this. What do you think about Laverne, you guys? Yeah. What do you think about her? Because I've got some things, some choice words. Thoughts. Choice words for Laverne. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, we hope you enjoyed this episode 82 on the Happy Face Killer. And Mm -hmm. we will see you next time. Bye. Bye.